And we're back for another episode of the Top Waffler podcast. Um, if I've timed this right and released them properly, this should be episode 15. Um, and this one's going to be strictly about the Calgary Flames and the upcoming NHL season. So if you're not a hockey fan or you don't care or you don't want to listen to my voice, click off now. But this one's going to be strictly about hockey. It shouldn't be too long. Um, we're just going to be talking about kind of how training camp's gone and things like that. So, um, yeah, uh, the NHL season starts in two days on Wednesday the 13th the flames don't open up until the 14th and let's start here because this was by far the stupidest marketing decision that the nhl could have done the battle of alberta edmonton versus calgary kachuk versus cassian this is the best rivalry in hockey and has been the best rivalry in hockey for if like at least last year but even then it's been heated since like i'd say 2017 pretty much since kachuk's been in the league it's been a heated rivalry and um it's opening night after four months of no hockey. Um, there's no fans, so a major stream of revenue is gone for the NHL. You'd think they would want to put up a matchup that would get the highest ratings. And, like, this isn't a slight on Vancouver because Vancouver is a talented team and they have Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes and, you know, they got flashy guys. But there's no real hatred of Vancouver. Like, Vancouver doesn't really have a proper, a proper rivalry right now with the Flames or with the Oilers or, for that matter, with any Canadian team right now. The major rivalry, like Montreal-Toronto will always be there because it's an original six, and they hit that because that's the opening game in, in the Canadian division at 5 o'clock Mountain, 7 p.m. Eastern, right? But for the late game, Wednesday night, fans that, that love hockey are just starved of hockey. They want they want action. They want something to look forward to. They want to see a bit of hatred. They want to see a bit of animosity. And um, you, don't, you miss the ball here. You miss the ball completely because you don't, set up a battle of Alberta on night one and the first battle of Alberta for that matter isn't until three weeks into the season a random February night in uh, a random Saturday night in February I mean and um, yeah it's just weird because like there's 10 battle of Alberta's this year because of the way the schedule works and like you'd think it just makes sense to put them on opening night as, like make one happen opening night and make one happen closing night but they don't play each other opening or closing night, which is really weird because like the ratings would just be through the roof. I mean, everybody in Canada, especially uh, knows what the battle of Alberta is all about. Now Matthew Kachuk, Zach Cassian playing as like the main kind of like villains on each side of the, of the, of the story there. And um, even like Kachuk was saying in one of his interviews recently with like Ryan Leslie from Sportsnet, he was saying that, um, even people in the States, like in St. Louis, where he's from, they're like, like the battle of Alberta is getting big there too. So like, like for a league that's so reliant on fan, um, on arena concessions and, you know, fan money through tickets and whatnot, and how they're going to be missing a lot of that revenue to get good ratings. You'd simply just put the best matchups on and the best matchup, the must see TV matchup is a heated rivalry game. And they did that in, uh, in this, the States version on NBC, they're opening the season with Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, the Battle of Pennsylvania. Both those teams hate each other. Montreal-Toronto opened the season against each other. Those two teams, original six rivals, their fans hate one another. Chicago-Tampa Bay is a smart one because they have to have the cup winner from the previous year on opening night to do the banner raising. And then how do they draw ratings? They draw ratings by including an original six team that's in that division. And that's where Chicago comes from. Uh, St. Louis, Colorado, uh, two powerhouse teams in the West. So it's, it's a decent matchup because normally that would, they would give that spot to a California 
a California matchup, but all the California teams are pretty garbage right now. So St. Louis, Colorado would make sense. I believe they're in the same division as Vegas. I'm not 100% sure now, actually. Um, yeah, I don't actually know what the divisions are in terms of that. Let me quickly just try and like pull this up here because if they had Vegas, it would make sense. Um, but yeah, otherwise, St. Louis, Colorado isn't a bad matchup. Oh, they did have Vegas in there. So maybe they could have done like Vegas, Colorado. I think that would have been a better matchup and drew more ratings. Um, and then, yeah, they missed the ball completely though. Vancouver, Edmonton, there's no hatred in that matchup there. There really isn't. It's a uh, Calgary Edmonton's the must-see matchup. And that's pretty uh, stupid on, on um, the NHL's part, in my opinion, at least that they don't open the season with the battle of Alberta. I don't mind it personally because the flames have lost 10 straight or like 11 straight season openers. So I'd rather not lose to Edmonton for the first game for like third time, five years or whatever it is. So I'm okay with opening the next night against Winnipeg, but from a ratings perspective and just trying to grow the game in general, because it's very possible the NBA suspends its season due to how it's going. And the NFL is only on weekends. So like the NHL to grow its, uh, to grow its viewership, you'd think they'd put probably the most heated and the best rivalry on the front and center stage. But that's just that kind of speaks to the incompetence of this league and their marketing and their and their plans and everything. Like I can go on forever about how shit they are at marketing, but that's just gonna be me ranting on. But yeah, so season starts in two days. Um in the north, obviously an all Canadian division. So the Flames specifically play the Oilers and Canucks 10 times, then play the Jets, Habs, Sens, and Leafs nine times each. Uh, very baseball-like schedule. You have, like, play, like, certain teams three, four times in a row pretty much. And there's, like, away games in a row and then back-to-backs at home, all that kind of stuff. So it's um, it's very condensed, very compressed. Already there's stuff going on with the COVID thing. Dallas Stars having their first three games canceled and having to reschedule them in a for – in a schedule that's already as condensed as it was, I think is like 56 games in 110 days. And now you're missing, you got to re you like, you got to reschedule those games. And yeah, like it's, it's going to be tough because even Vancouver had to close down their practice facility yesterday. So I don't know how the season's going to go, man, to be honest with you. Like the NBA right now is showing that it's, it's really hard to do this without a bubble. And um, like three games were postponed in the last 24 hours, two for tonight, one for yesterday. Uh, yeah, I don't know how the NHL will make it work. I thought when I was talking with one of my buddies, I thought Canada would be pretty good because our rules are pretty good. But with the Vancouver Canucks already shutting down their practice facility, it's looking like that might not be the case. Regardless, though, we'll preview the season as though it's still going to happen. But it's inevitable at this point that there will be cancellations and stuff due to like potential COVID outbreaks amongst teams. So yeah, so the Flames uh, have gone through training camp now. They have their second intra-squad scrimmage today, uh, 7 p.m. tonight. Um, so yeah, first, let's start off with the major news of the day, which was Derek Ryan and Oliver Shillington, along with Zach Ronaldo being put on waivers. Ryan and Shillington are a bit surprising. Shillington, I'll admit this right now, I'm biased. I'm a big fan of Shillington, so of course I'm going to overhype him more than he probably is like his quality and Derek Ryan though was really surprising it makes sense if you look at it though from a cap space perspective to carry him on the taxi squad for 30 days or 10 games or whatever comes sooner and 
put him there on days off days to save money and then activate him on days off. But it's also risky because if he gets claimed, you've lost a really serviceable player who's in the last year of his contract. So it's not even like this is a contract that you're losing for a couple of years. It's a one-year deal at three something million left that he has. And he's our, he's been one of our most serviceable fourth line centers in a long time penalty killer. He can move up the lineup. He's skilled enough to play. He's offensively gifted enough to play with skilled players, but he's also defensively stout that he can run your fourth line and play on the PK and be a huge part of that. So, um, and he's also a very rare thing for the Flames, which is a right-hand shot forward. And add on top of that, a right-hand shot center that can take face-offs and actually win face-offs. So if he gets claimed, it's a big, big gamble. And if he gets claimed, that's a big, big loss. Uh, the Shillington one, you can relate it back to like the Brett Kulak case from about two and a half years ago, I think it was. Yeah, at the start of 1819, Brett Kulak was waived. And it's the same thing. He was um, an AHL, NHL tweener with the Flames. No team claimed him. But after after being waived, he was signed or sorry, traded to the Canadians. And he's made a home for himself there. I'm pretty sure he plays regularly in their top six, or at least he did in the bubble as well. And like last season, I'm not sure if, how he fits in this coming year or if he's still with them, to tell you the truth. I think he is, but I'm not 100% sure. I can see the same thing happening with Shillington. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Shillington got claimed by a team like Detroit, maybe like a team like Buffalo, right? Detroit, Buffalo, maybe Ottawa. Those teams at the bottom of the barrel, like in Arizona, maybe. That kind of, um, you know, they they can afford to take a risk and take time because he's a high-reward, high-risk type of player. And, um, yeah, I feel like that could be one that comes back and bites us in the ass because I feel like with proper opportunity, Shillington can at least turn into something of an Eric Gustafson, which is just a power play, well, I can't even speak, power play quarterback that can play on your bottom pair and is at least fast and good with a stick, but struggles defensively. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out tomorrow. I'll be extremely upset if Shillington and Ryan get claimed. I'm expecting Shillington to get claimed, so I'm kind of coming to terms with that. Derek Ryan, I don't think, will get claimed because his salary is a bit too high for teams to pick up this, like, close to the start of the season. So I feel like that was a good gamble, but you never know, honestly. And then the Zach Ronaldo one, like, I don't think anyone will claim him. I hope not either because he's a... He's a good guy in the locker room and he's just funny, like all the stories and all the media stories about him uh, from last season and everything, all his media interviews. He's just a funny, a funny character and it seems like a good guy in the locker room. So, um, yeah, those three were, were put on waivers. Um, and then let's get into how, so I wrote these down, these lines down, I think like two or three days ago and they've changed since then, but it was looking like Kachuk Lindholm are pairing, Goudreau Monahan are pairing, and then uh, Simon, Dominic Simone, sorry, not Simon, Dominic Simone and Josh Levo were alternating on their wings. And then the third line was Manjapani Backland with one of Sam Bennett or Derek Ryan. And then Lucic and Dubé were on the fourth line with the other of Bennett or Ryan. And then, but that's all changed now because of the lines from the most recent practice which were a first line of Kachuk, Lindholm, and Dubé, which I do really like. I think that's a good line. Second line was, uh, I think it was Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Manjapani, which I do like quite a bit, but I would actually switch Manjapani and Dubé. I think Dubé would complement Gaudreau and Monaghan more, and Manjapani has already proved to have success with Kachuk and Lindholm when they played together as a line last year in from December 2019 to January of 2020. They played together, and they were quite well and successful. 
Um, the third line, I think, was Milan Lucic, Michael Backlund, and Josh Olivo. If you replace Lucic on that line with Sam Bennett, I like it a lot more. And then the fourth line was uh, Joachim Nordstrom, Sam Bennett, and Derek Ryan. Uh, again, don't know how this will play out now that Derek Ryan's on waivers. Um, again, I would take Sam Bennett off. If Sam Bennett's playing center, I'd prefer him to play center with skilled line mates such as a Dylan Dubé. And if you could possibly put like a Kachuk or a Gaudreau on the wing with him too and help those two guys pop. But if he's not playing center with those guys, which is understandable, I would much rather him play on Michael Backlund's wing because that's where he had the most success uh, so far in his career. So I don't know. That's um kind of my take on it. I, I'll give my like ideal lines based on what seems apparent now in camp. Like obviously, if you listen to my podcast from like the summer and stuff like that, you would have known I was a big proponent of wanting to separate Kadro and Monaghan. But it's it's clear that they're not going to be separated because a week into camp and they've been on the same line as one another every single practice so far. So that's pretty clear. The only thing clear was that Lindholm was taken off that line and moved to center. Um, the defense is shaping up to be Giordano and Anderson, Hannafin, Tanev on the second pair, and Valamaki and Nesterov on the third pair. I don't like those pairings, to be honest with you. I thought Hannafin uh, played his best hockey last season with Anderson. And I feel like with Gio's legs slowing down, you got to slowly transition Giordano away from being on your top pair to being on your second pair with heavy penalty killing minutes. And Anderson and Hannafin complemented each other very well and you can kind of transition them into your first pairing uh, I feel like Chris Tanev plays a similar style to Travis Hamannick and Noah Hannafin struggled mightily with Travis Hamannick last season so putting Hannafin with just a better version of Hamannick I'm not sure how it's going to work out it could work out like how it did in 2018-19 which is when Hamannick and Hannafin were a great pairing or it could work out how it did last season where Hannafin and Hamannick were a shit show together and Hannafin's game got better when he got put with Rasmus Anderson and the third pairing, Belmacki and Nesterov. I think it's okay pairing Nesterov. Both of them have experience playing the right-hand side of defense, even though they're being a left-hand shot. But I would... Um, I mean, yeah, you can't complain with that too much, honestly. Like, my ideal pairings, though, would be... I'd put Hannafin and Anderson as the first pair. The second pair, because Belmacki played the right-hand side as a left-hand shot in Finland when he played there this past season, I would put him on the right-hand side of Mark Giordano. It's a very... <laughs> A very bold move, but I would do it. And then um, the third pairing would be Nesterov, Mackey, or Shil- Shillington with Chris Tanev. And uh, just simply limit Tanev's minutes as much as you can to save him up for the stretch run in the playoffs. He's pretty much been injured every year of his career. I don't think he's had a healthy year because even last year, though he played 71 games, he was actually injured towards the end and the extra time off between the regular season and the playoffs is what helped him recover and come to the playoffs healthy. So I'd say to limit, try, you got to try your best to limit Giordano and Tanev's minutes to save them to be healthy and kind of push towards making Hannafin and Anderson your top pairing. Um and then, yeah, Markstrom and Riddick in the net extras are one of Shillington, Mackey, and Nesterov, uh, Joaquin Nordstrom, and Zach Ronaldo. And, um, yeah, so, like, I feel like with the way the acquisitions we made in the roster, kind of moves we're making with Lindholm going to center, having Sam Bennett, who can play anywhere in the lineup as well. Um, I think uh, there's lots of realistic options, and... Um, I feel like there's good uh, 
a good basis. So like, this is my realistic adaptation to the lines now that we've seen kind of what they're going with in training camp. I'd start off with the first line of Kachuk, Lindholm, and Levo. Uh, Levo has a good shot, and Kachuk and Lindholm work well together, and they worked well together last year with Manjapani, who also has a good shot. Only thing with Levo, he's coming off the injury. You don't know how he's going to be in game time, but for all accounts, he looks good right now. Uh, second line, Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Dubé. I put Dylan Dubé on this line for two reasons. One, it gives Gaudreau another puck carrier because Monaghan struggles to carry the puck and drive play, whereas Dylan Dubé does not. Dylan Dubé does that excellently. Prime example was his goal in game one against the Dallas Stars last year. Um, and it also provides help with Monaghan because when Monaghan is tasked with carrying the puck, he gets to the red line and he dumps it in. Well, Dylan Dubé played on a line with Bennett and Lucic, and that line was hard on the forecheck all playoffs long. So it gives them an opportunity. Uh, it gives them a player that's hard on hard in on the forecheck and will win pucks back and possibly draw some of the attention away from Gaudron Monaghan as he has a good shot. He's underrated. He can carry the puck, and he's fast, and he works hard, and he's tenacious. And then the third line, Manjapani backland great combination. And then you add Sam Bennett to that lineup. And Sam Bennett had his best season with Michael Backlund. And, you know, when he's motivated, he gives you it all. And he's a big player game. So I'm hoping in a shortened season when we're playing our rivals a lot, a lot, when we're playing our rivals a lot, Sam Bennett kind of of wakes up and shows what he's made of here. And I think he will. I think we're going to have a big season from Sam Bennett this year. I'm also a very big Sam Bennett fanboy. So I will continue to hype him and I will continue to sing his praises. And then the fourth line, Lucci to Ryan, and then either Dominic Simone or Joaquin Nordstrom. Uh, yeah, pretty simple. Lucci and Ryan have good chemistry together. I don't know much about Simone or Nordstrom, but I would much rather prefer them being on our fourth line than anywhere near our top six. Uh, and then I've, I've gone through my uh, realistic defensive, or like not realistic, but like my kind of, uh, uh, what's the word here? my like what I want the defensive pairings to look like my yeah I don't know the word and I'm gonna keep struggling here so that's gonna be pretty funny to listen to but yeah I don't know what word I was trying to say but kind of the defensive pairings I would roll with so again Hannafin Anderson Gio and Bellamacki and then whoever our sixth defenseman is whether it's Shillington Nesteroff or Connor Mackey with Chris Tanev and then obviously Markstrom and Riddick and goal and yeah so like with COVID, it's going to be weird carrying the taxi player squads. I feel like um, you're going to be seeing a lot of cases now because cases are going up everywhere in the world and it's going to be extremely prevalent with um, professional sports teams. And I feel like we're going to have to really pay attention to this kind of stuff. And yeah, like it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the season plays out. It's scheduled to end May 9th, I think, or May 8th. And I don't think it will end by then. I really don't. I think it'll it'll carry on until probably closer to the end of May because of the amount of reschedules that they're going to have to do. Because all it takes is another situation like the Dallas Stars to happen, but mid-season, and then every team's having their games canceled. That like every team in that division is having their games postponed and canceled, and and so on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, man. I appreciate the effort they're going through to put this game put uh put on these games for their fans specifically, but it's tough, man. The cases are worse right now than they were when shit got canceled last year. So let's see how it plays out. So another thing quickly to touch on uh, before we will finish off this mini podcast with just my predictions for the North division in general, but um, 
one thing I want to touch on before is just how fucking sick the Flames jerseys are. Like, we have the best jersey set in the league, and that is, like, undisputed, without a doubt, unanimous. Nobody touches us. Our Heritage Classic away jersey made it as a permanent away. The retro, red retro from the 80s is the permanent home, and Blasty's back. Fucking beauty, bro. Fucking mint. Uh, no team touches us for jerseys. They need to get rid of the Black Sea, though, as a third jersey because they're wearing that five times this year. And I, know, I do not want to see that ugly piece of shit ever again now that we got the retros and now that we got Blasty back. But, yeah, so jerseys, the Flames got the best ones, undisputed. Nobody can touch that. And I'll just finish off with a quick uh, prediction for the North Division. So I don't want to go through every division because I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to watch any other division besides the Flames and the North Division. Even then, like mostly I'm just going to watch the Flames games except for Saturdays I'll watch both Hockey Night and Canada games. Um, yeah, the North, it's realistically any team on paper except for the Ottawa Senators, in my opinion, can win that division. Um, Toronto has the best firepower attack all around. Uh, Edmonton has two the two best players in the division, but then the rest of their roster kind of trails off, especially as they get to goaltending. The Canucks got two young and exciting players in Peterson and Hughes, but they lost their starting goaltender, Markstrom, and how much of that gap can Demko and Holtby now fill. Uh, Winnipeg has a Vesna caliber goaltender in Connor Hellebuck and a great top six, but they got a weak defensive core. Calgary's got a well-rounded well-rounded team, but they start off very slow and they're known to underachieve and to not play up to their standards. Montreal, a Carey Price on his game was once the best goalie in the world. Can he return to that form? Like he did kind of in the playoffs. Don't really know. That's a wild card, but they got well-rounded players. Tyler Toffoli, they signed as well to help them out. Josh Anderson, that's a tr- big trade gamble they took, trading Max Domi for him. Uh, defense of Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie. You know, they're they're well around the team. I feel like on paper, the Flames can win this division, but with the way the Flames start, it's a 56-game season. The Flames are known as notorious slow starters. I feel like they should easily make top three in this division. For that reason, I'll predict them to finish third, maybe behind Toronto and Edmonton. I feel like Edmonton's firepower and their attack, specifically with McDavid and Drysaddle, is really going to help things out. If I had to give just a, like a, a really brief prediction based on like just like everything we know so far, I'd say probably Toronto wins a division, Edmonton in second, Calgary third, uh, between Vancouver and Winnipeg for fourth place, and then Montreal and Ottawa round out the division at the bottom end. But it's going to be close, man. Like nine, ten games against each team. Fuck me, bro. I'm going to hate like every Canadian. I'm going to hate every Canadian team even more than I do right now, like a month into the season. But fuck, I cannot wait because hockey's back, baby, and let's go. So, yeah, this is, like, kind of what um, the new layout will look like. And I'm looking at the recording right now. It's, like, 25 minutes or whatever so far. So they won't be too long. And I feel like this is the way to go just to split them up based on sports. So if you like a specific topic, obviously, or you don't, you'll know what day that one comes out. And you can just tune into that. And it's easier to listen to, too, because they're only, like, you know, like max, maybe it'll be like 40, 40, 45 minutes, but most of the time they'll probably be around 30, 20 minutes or so. And it's just like more convenient to listen to too. Cause you're not just um, listening like for two hours, like that last one was, cause that one was pretty long. Um, but yeah, there was, there might still be episodes like that that are really long, especially with the ones when I get like the, the guests on and stuff and the boys, but um, 
Yeah, for the most part, we're going to stick to this, and that'll start next week, the week of the 18th. Um, we'll have a proper schedule going out sometime. Might be the 18th, might be the 25th. I'm not sure yet. Depends on how stuff goes for schools as well, because I got to figure all that stuff out. But um, three episodes a week, one for hockey, one for soccer, one for basketball. It'll be an easier way to split thoughts up as well. And um, yeah, so just, uh, you know, the normal follow the podcast on Instagram, top author podcast, follow it on Spotify, Apple podcast, share it around, all that good stuff. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. And either the week of the 18th or the 25th, we'll get into three times a week. And I hope you guys tune in for that. So I'll talk to you guys then. Goodbye.